Hey everybody, this is Derek. This is Mark. What's up? Good to talk with you after all these weeks. I mean, you come over all the time, but but not that we ever talk. Yeah, a couple. Just come out and (laughs) grunt at you a little bit. That's right. I'm grunting in the weights with the weights. You're grunting just because that's your personality. And uh, yeah, move on. Yeah, we um, skipped a couple weeks there. Um, thankfully, the whole Israel thing just worked itself out. No, nothing left over to talk about there, so we can skip that for now. <laughs> Dust our hands off. Dude, oh, God. He- here's what I know about Israel versus Palestine. Whenever I hear a, a pro-Israel guy talk, I think, oh, Israel's in the right. And whenever I hear a pro-Palestinian talk, I hear, oh, Palestine's totally right. Yeah. It's almost like they're both wrong or they're lying or, hey, guess what? I don't care. There's a lot of... Show me, show me, keep showing me Palestinian children charred by, by bombs. Watch me not care. Well, I care. <laughs> I would say that I care, but I think that it's... That's, I think what you're talking gay, about, though... You're, you're really gay for caring. Wow. <laughs> this whole conflict is so mediated, and that's the right word for it, I guess, by our media. You know, like the whole thing is to a large extent, a uh, PR operation uh, on both sides, of course, but obviously Israel has deeper pockets. And I'm not saying that this is unique. Uh, it's one of the things that I learned from blowback is that like, you know, one of the first things that Kuwait did, uh, you know, in the run up to the original Gulf War is they hired a Western press, uh, uh, sorry, a uh, Western uh, public relations firm uh, to help like represent their case um for going to war against Saddam. Uh, this is one of the things that actually plays a part uh, in modern warfare is messaging and and especially so with this one I would say and yeah there's lots were of stuff they the going ones, on about or was there the the western PR firm that made up the story about all those that the children in incubators and how Saddam killed all of them and a, yeah, a the, total lie the, right the thing about that the thing. yeah the the girl who testified in front of congress about the seeing the Iraqi soldiers tipping babies out of incubators was, yeah, that was a lie. She was the daughter of an ambassador uh, and it never got exposed uh, until years yeah. later. Well, now I'm at the point where I hear babies dying and I think, no, they didn't. Right. No, my right. default well, is they didn't. I'm sure babies die. Yes. And that's sad. But my default is when you tell me that I say no. Right. Right. When you, and, when you bomb a building, that, it's going to take me six months of convincing that they, there is something wrong with babies and in incubators or something. When you bomb and a building, babies fault, die media. because everybody inside of it dies. But when you claim that the other side is beheading babies because they're subhuman, uh, then that's the thing to be skeptical of. And uh, yeah, there's like an asymmetry going on with that. But we don't know yet. You know, like we're going to, I'm sure there's going to be five different conspiracy theories and interesting <clears throat> threads that all evolve out of this whole conflict in the end. You know, we, we talked a little bit the f- the first time that we m- talked about this, about how yeah, there's a lot of discussion around like how much of that original killing was actually friendly fire or ineptitude or, you know, whatever. And um still hearing things along those lines. There's a lot of, yeah, just a lot of... Uh, the same thing we said when we were getting into Russia know, and Ukraine. Can we get 9-11 just, squared away first? Let's figure out what happened there with Boeing no. 7. That seems no. why... Right? No, we definitely can't. I mean, we can't get JFK squared away, right? So we're, we're, 9-11 yeah. is itself far down the queue. Okay, so I'm I'm I feel bad when I say I don't care about Israel Palestine, but I don't. I yeah, feel really I bad about it though. That's an interesting. I mean, I de- I do feel bad. I I definitely feel bad. I think I'm sincere in that. I just think that 
there's something to be said about how, yeah, you, you get coarsened by the fact that this is all presented to you in a way that is uh, militated uh, by the social media, by the posts that you see. And that's, that's not reality and it's hard to trust. And so what are you supposed to do here? You think it's social media that, that is militated by, I think it's militated by a bunch of things. Social uh, yeah, media I mean, being one of those. The governments being one also uh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Right. right yeah. Right. That, that would be the bigger issue. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But I just, yeah, I'm looking at this in terms of like, what is anybody even doing about this? They're posting about it, right? It's not like, you know, it's not like there's any political action that anyone can take. So yeah, whatever. Um, let's talk know, about Derek, something important. It's pretty freeing to say you don't care. I mean, you don't have to try it here, but it's, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe after that we record, you know, go look at yourself in the mirror. Okay. I don't care. <laughs> okay. I'll try it. I, I mean, isn't it such it. a relief? I, I mentioned this the other day. I mean, isn't it such a relief to not care about the environment at all? I don't care. <laughs> I don't endorse this. I, this is the Diz side of the brazen heads talking here. <laughs> well, somebody needs to uh, counterbalance all your, uh, I don't know. Caring. Gayness. <laughs> yeah. So gay. Yeah, that's good. We're playing both sides here, the caring and the not caring. The the people we're playing both sides of the aisle here, the people who think that silence is the finest Scorsese film, uh, and the people who think not. Uh so we'll get into that today. Okay. Here we go. I liked silence, don't get here me wrong. I like silence. I watched it a second time today, actually. Uh and I and I did like it. I decided during the second viewing that I definitely do like it. Um, we'll It'll get into just it. I be have easier notes. when I talk to Diz about it to say I like it. <laughs> I, I found myself any of the points I have to make, but I just say I like it. I find my you really do a lot of times have to watch a movie twice, especially if it's a movie that you don't like. Because I found myself during the second viewing being more patient with the stuff that bugged me the first time around, and I found myself looking forward to the things that I remembered being really good the first time around. And I think that's a good sign. That's a sign of a good movie, right? If you were watching it a second time and, and it all just felt like you're slogging through it again, then that would be that would be bad. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's a lot of good in silence. I mean, yeah, obviously, well, that's how Scorsese I felt about is. Andre Rubio the second time I saw it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Scorsese that's, is that's a top a tier top tier filmmaker. So it's it's like you know he's starting from an extremely high level, and if whatever I'm criticizing, I'm only criticizing relative to that very high level, which is not something that I would say. I think, for example, about uh, like the last movie by a good director that I remember not liking, Licorice Pizza. Like, I didn't feel the need when we talked about Licorice Pizza to try to, like, give some sort of preamble of saying, like, look, this is one of the finest directors working, and even when he makes a bad movie, it's still great. I really just kind of felt like, no, it's not that good. And in fact, when you add it up with Inherent Vice and even kind of partially, kind of maybe Phantom Thread, even though it's good, I know everyone likes it, and I liked it too, uh, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's just kind of all adding up to like, no, maybe not. And I don't feel that way about Scorsese. I feel like he's, he's top tier. He'll always be top tier. He can't really do that much wrong. But then again, I was looking through his filmography and, uh, and we'll talk about it. He has a big filmography. I think I've seen about 20 movies of his, so it's pretty hard to do like a full overall ranking of everything. This, this is nowhere near the worst, but it's, it's also, I think far from the best in my rankings but but we'll get into it silence uh we're up to date here yeah, but by the way the just heads. a quick aside there i rewatched phantom thread mm -hmm. and it's really hard to be unbiased about it because 
I'm, I'm so gay for DDL. I, I, when I He's see him awesome. on screen, I, I just picture myself filleting him the entire time. Yeah. So I like it, but I, you know, I could just be totally biased. Yeah. Um, no, he's awesome. I guess when I was thinking about, when I was trying to mention the list of lesser PTA films, I, I probably should have actually mentioned The Master more so than Phantom Thread. But both of them live in this sort of tier where I don't really know what to say because there's there's parts of both of those movies that are obviously so brilliant, especially the acting and just sort of like the the style of them. I don't know, the, the formal austerity of them you know there's like something very cool about that but also both of them feel wrong in some sense they feel incomplete like not yeah. the work of a master and some they're missing something or something's yeah, clumsy yeah, the, about the ending of phantom thread feels wrong and it's not how it ended it's not the ending scene which is cool it's the ending chunk yeah yeah it's like the last 20 minutes or so it something right. feels off and, and you can end it that way with that kind of dynamic between the two main characters but yes. yeah it just wasn't delivered and not that i could make it any better but it just right. didn't i remember right. i've only seen it once so going by my own advice i definitely need to watch it again but i remember thinking that the ending scene was fantastic but that the ending section of the movie however long you know whatever the final act yeah. was just felt like it was wonky and the master, I, I can't even say that I loved the last scene of the master. I just, I just really thought the master started strong and then just pooped. Um, and it's like, I don't know, this, I didn't intend to talk about PTA, but he is so interesting. It's like, to me, Inherent Vice is just a clear failure. Like, maybe I need to watch it again because some people I know say that it's the best PTA movie. And I love Thomas Pynchon. Like, what should I not like about it? But for whatever reason, I just thought it sucked. Um, so maybe I should watch it again. And then I think this whole thing, like I said, this sort of like the, the weird lopsided second half of his movies or final acts of his movies and this like austere, like weird surgical like style that he goes with. I do think a lot of that started with There Will Be Blood and it's just one of those things where like maybe that's just an impossible act to follow. Like maybe once you've done There Will Be Blood, you just can't make like something with that same feel that's like set in a different story, like the master or phantom thread uh, and actually have it work. Maybe that's just doomed to not work. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, Hey, if you want to talk about phantom thread again, I'd be down. I'd, I'd get my notes yeah. together on that. Yeah. Maybe I'll rewatch it. I'll let you know. I definitely want to rewatch inherent vice because I just feel like God was, I just, I mean, it deserves a second chance, I guess, just uh, a priori because I don't understand why it seemed to suck so bad. It should be good, but... I think uh, in order for me to sit through Inherent Vice, I would need to be on heroin or something. <laughs> some some heavy sedative, because when I when I watched it initially, it just felt... I got that feeling of, of ants crawling underneath my skin. Well, the reason I brought any of this up in the first place was because of Licorice Pizza. And I was just saying that, like, Licorice Pizza is a movie I can remember thinking was not good. Like, kind of at all. Uh, from a director who should be like you know at sort of the top of the the list at least he definitely has been like in his prime at the top of the list and uh, Scorsese sort of fits into that category too but I would never say that even his bad movies uh, give me anything like that sort of feeling of actual failure actually just like getting the whole thing wrong uh, the way that that um, licorice pizza hit me uh, so anyway I guess to segue or to try to <laughs> get out of this digression and back into what we intended to talk about silence 
is, uh, like I said, we're up to date on the brazen heads. We're only one Scorsese movie behind now because I still <laughs> haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm excited for, but haven't just haven't seen it yet. Um, anyway, we'll get there. Um, Silence was the one before that one. Actually, was it before The Irishman? No, it was after The Irishman, I think. It was before. Shit. Yeah, you're right. It's 2016. Yeah. God. Okay. It was after Wolf of Wall Street. Um, okay. Well, Silence is the story of two Jesuit uh, Portuguese uh, missionaries who travel from Macau, where they're doing missionary work, to Japan uh, during 17th the 17th century. Yeah, in the 17th century during the Tokugawa shogunate, which spanned centuries. But I was reading about it on Wikipedia a little bit. There was a specific rebellion that happened right around this time uh, where there was sort of like a more liberal sort of daimyo in the in the shogunate who tried to do some like modest reforms, like some trade and some accommodations with Christians and stuff. And then there was a rebellion against uh, that, which then like wound up like with kind of like a doubling down of the suppression of Christianity and the closed offedness. Uh, of the shogunate which then like you know after this whole story like a century later uh wound up leading into like the edo period um you know which is like when japan was completely closed off to the rest of the world um before the meiji restoration Uh, the history of japan is like god obviously way more complex than like a white boy like me is ever going to understand from like reading a wikipedia page but like everything i've ever heard about it like i've heard like dan carlin discuss it before and stuff like that it's super fascinating um, Japan is a crazy place. This movie depicts this very well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a story of these two priests kind of entering into this most dangerous territory where they're just, Christianity is completely being persecuted to the ends of the earth, to the, to the death or renunciation of every single Christian in the country. Uh, and just the story of, of what they're trying to do there. They're trying to, you know, find word of, of, of a father who went there before them, who was kind of their teacher, uh, and to sort of see what's going on. Who are supposedly um, apostatized, apostatized, right. yep. and they don't believe it because right. he was such a good guy and they taught us everything that we know. There's no way that he gave up Christianity. Right. Now, so when it comes gonna to- go, They're going to go see. It, it's almost like they're defending their repu- their reputation because it makes them look bad if their teacher apostatized. Right. They say that in that first scene. It's like, yeah, what does it say about the project of the Jesuits or the project of- uh, our missionary work, um, yeah. if this stands, you know, if this, if this uh, calumny uh, that that the father was actually forced by the inquisitor to to renounce Christianity uh, is actually true, because the word is going around, like in the trade routes, uh, that that is what's happened. Now, when it comes to apostatize, uh, apostatizing, um, I prefer uh, a broader noodle. Um, like a fettuccine more than a linguine. That's for when it comes to apostatize. That's what I prefer. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> Nothing on that. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it took me a while to to register what you're trying to do. Apostasy. <laughs> I, I, it's not even a little bit close, but I apostasizing. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing apostasizing over here. I like the wider noodles. Uh, all right. Thanks, everybody. Dude, um, if, if we're really talking about apostasizing, I like uh, noodles brought to uh, cool down room temperature. And they, right. They typically, take yeah. The, the form of the bowl that they're in. Right. Leftover uh, next to a warm beer on the table for the next morning. Yeah. 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 And so you can just pick up the the... 
it's it's like the clump of pasta. You know, pick it like like, like it's a piece of bread or something. <laughs> eat it that way. Right. Exactly. Oh man. Okay. Do you want to go through silence um, plot point by plot point, or you have some notes that you're interested in, kind of getting to the meat of the subject? I well, organized my thoughts into the plot points in order, but then also separately, like I kind of wrote down like the themes and the important quotes. Well, you know, I, as you're talking about it, I'm thinking: should we even spoil the ending? Because I don't think this is a movie that a lot of people saw. It didn't make any money. I want to, well, what we could talk about is, okay, yeah, so these Jesuit priests, they go to Japan and they see uh, what you would call a Christian bravery in in these Japanese people who are Christians who are dying for their faith. Mm -hmm. Because the challenge, what the Inoue does is he wants them to step on the Inquisitor. Yeah, he's the Inquisitor. Thank you. We'll just call him the Inquisitor. Uh, (laughs) We got to put everything in Western terms. Sorry, Japan. Yeah, their Inquisitor wants them to apostatize by... Uh, stepping on this picture of Jesus in the book. It's actually the mother Mary with baby Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I would know that cause I'm reading the book cause I'm so much more cultured than everybody. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. And there, there's real bravery, you know, in these Japanese people standing up for what they believe <laughs> in and going through real persecution and real torture. I mean, yeah, that one scene, I just got uh, by that in the book where they're, uh, hung on a cross you know they're, they're crucified but they're crucified at low tide so the tide comes up and it doesn't drown them but it splashes against their face and after a few days you just get exhausted and i think what happens is you just give up and you say okay now it's time to die and then you die mm-hmm. probably just, the most just, powerful yeah. scene in the movie in my opinion and for what yeah. it's worth i watched a little interview with scorsese he was being interviewed by a uh, Jesuit, actually, um, talking about his faith a little bit and stuff like that. Nothing too profound in it, but he specifically called out that scene, and he said that when they were there, like filming that scene, that just you could feel like something special, like there was something powerful about that that went beyond the movie. They weren't doing it, but it was there. It was in like the energy of shooting that scene. So for what that's worth, I yeah. thought that scene was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, really powerful, really moving. So there's great bravery, right? And I'm not a Christian, you're not a Christian, but we can appreciate that and go, wow, they really care about their ideas. And there's like, um, you know, it's inspiring in a way. And then at the same time, what? And I was going to say, it it also does a great job of being complex, which maybe is what you're getting to next, because what you get from the Adam Driver character at, at certain moments is a frustration that like also like look by the way these japanese people they're not the same as us in portugal and they might not really actually understand christianity per se and that becomes relevant again at the end of the movie as well yeah yeah there's some complexity right i I guess that's where i was getting at but i was going to introduce complexity through kichichiro Mm -hmm. who was the opposite of the brave guys who are martyring themselves He's a Christian who is selling out everybody. He's stepping on baby Jesus any any chance he can get to yeah, get out of wretch. trouble. His yeah. entire family was killed because they didn't apostatize. He did. So his brothers and sisters are all killed. He got away. And the entire movie you're thinking, oh, wow, what a wretch. What a terrible human being. No integrity. He sells out somebody else in the movie that you just think, oh, God, Kichichiro, could you be more annoying? 
Mm-hmm. And and they take this, right? And and these are our Western sensibilities, even though we would say we're not Christian, there are Western sensibilities to be like, oh, Kachichiro's bad. These guys who died on the cross at high tide, they're good. And I think the movie does a great job of throwing that back in your face. And I don't want to, maybe I'd, I don't really want to say too much more than that, but it really sets up this, and and even somebody like me who thinks like, oh yeah, martyrdom's bad, it's stupid, you know, it's just like, you know, whatever, all this anxiety. And, and well, you know, towards the end of the movie, I was thinking, you know, if Jesus was really a cool guy, he would say, what are you doing? Well, why would you just step on my face? It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right? If And um, I don't know if. Well, not we can, we can talk about what that. happens, but yeah, but so I, I like how it took like our, at least for me, it took my view of martyrdom and standing up for yourself, even with all, you know, my denigrations of Christianity. And it really threw it back in my face and said, look how stupid it is, Diz. On, on a level that even I have yet to contemplate. And I thought, I thought the movie did a great job demonstrating that even though, you know, if you were to ask me a question on a test, is martyrdom heroic or is it stupid? I would say, no, it's heroic. It's, it's how dumb people feel important about themselves is they martyr themselves. It's for dumb people. But then you're watching that scene of, of those Japanese guys martyring themselves, you know, that high tide, you're like, oh, wow, that's like really cool. And Kichichiro's, he's a wretch. And it throws it back in your face in a perfect demonstration. I love it. And that's why it's my favorite Scorsese movie. It really made me think and contemplate. And no other Scorsese movie did that. Like I, like I said, I just watched Raging Bull and it was fine. I don't know. I, I forgot half the scenes. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Raging that, Bull is but mid. But this movie I agree. made me think. Well... Well, we we can maybe save the Scorsese ranking to the end because that's a good teaser for the listeners. You're, I know everyone's fascinated to hear the Scorsese ranking, but I will just say, I guess to maybe tease that a little bit, I think that this is a classic example of like directors like listening to a director talk about their movie that is so profound and like meaningful as a movie is basically always a letdown because what are they really going to say about it? Yeah, don't do it. And so like, yeah, Scorsese was talking about this movie and like he he just can't really say anything that smart. You're never going to express something in an interview format using words and complete sentences as answers to questions um, and say it in a way that says anything like what this movie says. And to him, this is sincerely a movie about his specifically Catholic faith in Jesus Christ. Um, It's not you know, ambiguous or multicultural for him. Although he is more open-minded and, um, and he thinks the factor of, you know, Japanese cultures, interaction, maybe collision, uh, you know, with, with Christian philosophy, he like, he understands that that's an important theme of the book, but, but what's he really going to say about it other than like, yeah, Japan's interesting, man, they got their own history. (laughs) Like, you know, that's basically all that he comes up with, which is true, you know, but it's just like, but to me, that's the juiciest, most amazing stuff in the movie. And I think there is a way of talking about this without spoiling. Uh, if we ever do wind up spoiling, we'll just preface it. So don't worry about it, listener. Like, we'll give you a warning before we do it. But I'm not about to do it right now this instant. Um, but it is very important how the movie goes on. Uh, and when you get to the end, which is the stuff that I found myself looking forward to, where there's some real enlightened discussion of this on both sides. Uh, And one of the things that's interesting about this movie is how the Inquisitors are not 
like for all the terrible things they do like you just described this crucifixion scene which is horrific i mean it's a terrible way to die it's and it, it's torment for the loved ones who are watching on as well and yet at the same time these japanese inquisitors are not really brutal or uncivilized in the least they have their own civilization they have their own religion which is yeah. very valid and very meaningful to people uh, to this day um it, it's just that it's a completely different philosophy and there is a little bit of specific concrete discussion of that that you might almost find like in a undergrad like philosophy of religion class uh where, where the one character is describing to the other like you know you might think you're doing good missionary work, but just take my word for it. Like you can't do that in this country. These people are their own people with their own tradition that we don't understand. And even if you think they're being Christian, maybe what they believe in is a distortion of your faith that, that doesn't jibe with your Catholic uh, orthodoxy anyway. Um, and, and in fact, like they're basically just kind of doing sun worship, like S U N, you know, not son right. of God worship. And there's some interesting, you know, d stuff there kind of in the zeitgeist direction about, you know, how this all traces back to, to something archetypal. And, uh, they, they talk about how, you know, to the Japanese, they, they can't conceptualize a religion that has to do with uh, man transcending, uh, that there, that there is just nature and, and manness, uh, to uh, Japanese uh, religious philosophy, and uh, and one of the like, basically kind of like the main bad guy of the, of the movie, uh, the most hateable bad guy, the translator, not the real inquisitor. Uh, he he kind of talks about this as well, like where he's kind of defending Buddhism, and he's just saying like, you know, you think that we're just this stupid religion that is worshiping this guy who was in history named Buddha, but that's not what this is about. This is about learning how every man can become the Buddha as an ideal, you know, in samsara, you know, and just like, it's just, it, it, I think it does a good job for being such a Western movie, which by the way, wasn't even shot in Japan. If you want to start doing like the whole like cultural appropriation thing, they shot this thing in Taipei, which was very alarming when I learned that. I was like, come on, man, that's not even Japan. It's so beautiful. But, um, but yeah, they do a good I'm job very regardless about the cultural appropriation. So thank you for bringing that. <laughs> yeah, up. I knew you would be. Um, but no, they do a really good job. Of, I mean, it's a Japanese novel. It's it's not like you know this this white guy wrote this screenplay. Um, so, and I think it does a, a good job of actually understanding both sides, while obviously being ultimately a movie that is sympathetic to Christianity, um, more so than anything else. Um, so yeah, that's my first kind of. I don't know. We can go in a couple different directions from there. But that was, my first kind of reaction was just that. My favorite stuff in the movie was when they really did address the fact that you might actually be wrong trying to do missionary work in Japan. And it doesn't matter how heroic uh, and uh, idealistic and principled your faith and your courage in your faith actually is. It could just wind up being wrong. And have you thought about that? You know, or are you too glorified in yourself uh, as, as a Jesuit adventurer uh, yeah, are, are to, you to too confront that? Like self-absorbed. Right. You're indulging these beliefs that you have. You're not really analyzing them. You're not thinking about it. And as Kanye would say, that ain't Christ-like. Uh, and that's a, that's a theme of this movie. You know, it's just the, the simple, simple Kanye turns of phrase can actually be connected to something very deep. And, and yeah, that there's moments where, especially the Andrew Garfield character, uh, the priest uh, Rodriguez, that's sort of the main character of the film, he, he's definitely not being Christ-like. But then again you know as you said without spoiling anything like you wind up 
at least having to kind of circle back around and reevaluate that one or two more times before the movie is over because you know because maybe he is maybe this you know gets more and more complicated as he as the rubber meets the road yeah um it, it's like you have this way of demonstrating your faith called martyrdom and you know that can work in a certain context but yeah i i think it it when when they when they talked about the Japanese religion, how it being based on nature, or um, you know Liam Neeson's character, right? That's what he said. I mean, this is based mm-hmm. on nature, right? When when you talk to God, they just look at the sun. I, I I think it's very symbolic that the martyrdom backfires when it's in effect up against this nature. Mm-hmm. Like it's not going to work. In fact, it's totally futile and silly and not brave. And I love that. I just love how it demonstrated that so well. And, and you know, obviously it's done well filmically. I guess this is probably in the book too, but like, you know, the fact that they get killed by the waves or in other cases they get killed by the fire. So it really is like the fundamental, uh, you know, most powerful right. and scary forces of nature yeah. uh, that are doing the killing. Um, and like I said, I just, I really thought that it did a good job of, you could picture this being... And there's a moment there where you think that it is going to turn into like just torture porn. Like this is going to be that scene in Apocalypto or this is going to be, uh, you know, Solo <laughs> for you Criterion heads out there or Funny Games or something. I was worried like, oh, God, are we going to just do like serious, hardcore, like torture, like stuff, you know, a, lo- a lot in this movie. And the thing about it that's kind of amazing is that like, yes, there is a glimpse of that. I think the scene with Kichichiro's family being killed is is a little bit excessive i didn't think it was totally tastefully handled um, but whatever we can talk about that um <clears throat> but ultimately i really respected the restraint of this movie and it plays into the plot part of the whole point is that again like this japanese culture this tokugawa shogunate that's being depicted here <clears throat> they're not uh, nutcases like the the barbarians encroaching upon you know the roman gates uh who are just like going berserker and like killing everybody with a book in their hand they're learned uh they are their own civilization like and they the don't want to be uh human centipede doctor <laughs> right right yeah they don't want to like be killing skilled. people i mean you're yeah. psychotic but you're skilled right and they're and they're they're um, able to articulate uh, like in a way that that uh, breaks through to the Rodriguez character like look we already learned that just letting you all be martyrs for Christianity is not helping us in our effort to stamp this thing out we need something different than that we're looking for something different than that uh, so you're not going to see all these people just get lined up and killed or brutalized uh, like it's the end of Braveheart or, or, or something like that um, there's right. something else going on. And that also makes it so that like the, the couple actual like torture things that do happen wind up being all the more sort of impactful. Again, there's no spoilers here, but there is one beheading, uh, in the movie that happens that I just think was like, man, it was so badass. They filmed it so well. That's like, that's the kind of like <laughs> killing of an innocent that I can really get behind in a movie where I was just like, Oh shit. Um, but it works for the yeah, story too. Cool. Yeah, uh, it really works for the story, too. And uh, yeah, anyway, I think maybe one thing that we should talk so about. What did you not like about it? Well, the first time that I watched it, I just thought that it was, <clears throat> I think meandering is maybe the right word for it. I just felt like you could have made have this point. Yeah, yeah, you could have made this point in an hour and a half. I think that um, 
the, the one scene that I really didn't like in the movie, and I don't think it's bad intellectually, I just think that the way that it was pulled off, like, just didn't seem right, and it left a bad taste in my mouth, and I just thought it kind of... <clears throat> I would have liked the movie a whole lot more if this one scene would have been done better. And this is a spoiler uh, here, not for the end of the movie, but for, like, something in the middle. So, you know, feel free to, like, skip ahead two minutes. Um, but it was when they're, they're out on the beach, uh, and, like, he's kind of, like, you think he's going to be reunited with the Adam Driver character, and they're they're drowning the people off the boat. I just thought... There was something about the way that, like, I feel like I could have survived that drowning. Like, all they did was kind of poke him with a stick. It's like, I think when people are drowning, they're fighting a lot harder than that. <laughs> and uh, something about it, like, it was all, like, in the distance. And there was, like, this screaming, but they never made a connection with each other. Like, each, each like, like he didn't know that Rodriguez was there, I don't think. And uh, I don't know. I, I just felt like something about that felt off. Like, you could have made that click a lot more strongly. Well, I mean, he was a prisoner up until that point, and, and I, I think because his shirt was off, they're making the point that he was emaciated. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he was just kind of delusional and emaciated, and maybe he saw Rodriguez, maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know what you mean. I just kind of chalk it up to, I think he was ready to die. He he looked pretty miserable. So Yeah. I, I think that the theme that I like, and if you're rejoining us, I don't think we're going to do any more spoilers uh, after I've already said that. Um I, I did really like the way that the dynamic between those two guys was handled at the beginning of the movie where like you don't know what importance it's going to play as the movie goes on you're just getting these little glimpses of it when they first arrive in Japan where like it's clear that Garupe which is the Adam Driver priest like he's he's actually by the book like down to the point where like if people are misinterpreting the, the, the preaching like he will say no to them and correct them and he's getting frustrated he feels bad for it about it like a good Christian would be but like the the literalism of the actual Catholic orthodoxy matters to him uh, all the way to the point uh, including where like when it comes to this idea that like oh for the inquisitor you need to like step on Jesus you know the, the Rodriguez priest is the empathetic one who says like trample trample the great line delivery is like some of the best acting in the movie is when he's you know passionately telling them like no you have to just trample it's it's okay uh, and Adam Driver is like no you have to find strength I mean this is this is your faith this is a test of your faith you, you can't do that um, and again that's sort of like a central question of the movie is that ethical you know confronting that ethical challenge is like who's right there like wh- what does it really mean like wh- wh- what what kind of faith are we really talking about here yeah one thing we didn't talk about yet which i think is relevant is just why is the movie called silence uh in the first place uh or why is the book called silence i mean because a whole other aspect of that it's it, to me the stuff that I liked the most was this stuff about the sort of cultural philosophical collision between Japan and the, <clears throat> you know, mercantilist uh, developing Western world. But the whole other thing that's happening here is also just the internal struggle of these men of God against the the silence of God. You know, they're seeing people in their most desperate extremity and God ain't doing anything for him. Uh, he's not talking to them. Right, I, th- I think that's part of it. Uh, the book makes this point that w- when they're being martyred, when they die, it's silence. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end, I mean, not just—I'm not going to spoil it—but I think 
how the conflict was resolved. Like, how are you going to live in Japan and still be a Catholic? I think that's that. That's also where the silence title comes mm-hmm. from. Yeah, there's a um, there there's a there's a an uh, uh, internal dialogue that happens uh, after the the martyrdom of the, of the of the peasants on the beach. That very powerful scene we referred to before. Where um, Rodriguez is, is, you know, kind of questioning. Uh, he's he's about to give in to the temptation of despair, as he puts it, and he says, um, uh, "When they died, you know, God heard their prayers, but did He hear their screams? How can I explain His silence to these people who are suffering?" And later on, he says, "The weight of your silence is terrible," and he wonders, "Maybe I'm just praying to nothing, praying to nothing." Well, if you're a and, Christian, uh, don't you just get out of that by saying, well, you're going to paradise. If you, if you die a martyr's <laughs> death, you're going to paradise. So. And there is some discussion of that uh, here as well. There's a scene where, yeah, after after one of the characters is taken captive and is talking to some other prisoners, um, they're the ones who are saying, like, look, isn't this fine? Like, we're going to go to paradise. Like, it's going to be all good. And he's like, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> in so many words sorry what, never mind what, what do you really believe yeah um yeah. what's well, all yeah. i have to say about it is there anything else you didn't like about it what didn't i like i i, I felt that sorry, i i want to talk about what i didn't like without having to spoil the ending and i think i can let me think about how to express that the right way. I think well, why that... Why don't we just say spoilers and then meet us back up when we start talking about Twin Peaks? I mean, I put timestamps in it, so... So let's go ahead and spoil it. Okay, let's let's say spoilers so that we can talk about the ending, but then we'll do a timestamp for when we talk about our Scorsese movie rankings. How about that? Because I want to cap it off with that. I got the list here. Okay, well, you can talk about your Scorsese movie ranting, or rankings, and, and I'll just respond. No, I'm going to really make you do it. Them. I'm okay. going to make you do it on the spot, under the gun. Uh, okay, the ending. <clears throat> the The good part about the ending is that you get into the sort of denouement of the movie by having this situation where Rodriguez, the captured priest, is transferred to a Buddhist temple. He's no longer being kept in sort of a prison of a palace courtyard he's now going to the actual temple um which is not only where um sort of like the 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 most hardcore inquisiting happens um but it's also where the uh, liam neeson character um the priest uh ferreira who has you know it turns out really has uh recanted his catholicism and has assimilated into japanese society Uh, it's where he resides or has he? And, Isn't that left up to question, I think? Yeah, uh, well, it's a fantastic scene. It's so good. Uh, yeah. And it's obviously like pretty much the most important thing in the whole movie uh, is for him to have this conversation with with Rodriguez. So, uh, And it's just done so well. It's, it's a great thing that kicks off the whole ending of the movie. And it starts off with basically like nothing. You know, Liam Neeson is just sort of like betraying nothing. Um, but then, you know, as the scene evolves, you like learn what his actual circumstances are and, and what's going on here. And that's where some of this discussion that we mentioned before about the sun worshiping and all that kind of stuff happens. Um, but yeah, he, he basically says that, um, you know, he's still not so different from you 
the Catholic priest, like just when it comes to his values and his empathy. Um, but you know, what does he do? How does he occupy himself? Well, he's writing about astronomy and medicine. Uh, it's fulfilling to finally be of use in this country. I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, you imagine the perspective. That was a great, yeah, I think that was a great line. Yeah. Your martyrdom's not useful. Right. Like, like, look that this, this woman, her husband died. She has orphan children. We, we, you need to be a, a father here. Mm-hmm. Stop trying to martyr yourself. It's silly. I, and, yeah, I really love that line. Anyway, right, and that's that's the main point that we haven't actually talked about yet because it risks being a spoiler if we were to bring it up before, which is just that a big part of what Rodriguez needs to confront and evaluate is that all of this stuff that he's viewing as martyrdom for the sake of Christianity um, might actually just be self-centeredness. Uh, and not just on his part. It might not just be the fact that like he's in love with the idea of himself being like Jesus in Gethsemane, which Liam Neeson says to him. That's a good point. But also, mm-hmm. secondarily, he might also be sort of in love with the idea that all these peasants like worship his perspective on things and that he's the adjudicator of, you know, their religion and their and their village yeah, and, that, and all that, that kind of that stuff. That was a great line when he says they're not they don't worship God, they worship you. Right. And he the, at one point he says, you know, they're not dying for God, they're dying for you. Um yeah, and right. you know, if Jesus was here right now, Jesus would have acted already. Um I thought that was very powerful. Right before again, spoiler, right before Rodriguez really does um, you know, step on the the icon and, and recant <clears throat> for the first time. So anyway, I thought that scene was fantastic. Um, but then I thought that the stuff about the pit, um, which is kind of like the ultimate torture that they can subject you to something about that, again, similar to the beach scene. I just think there's something about like, maybe I'm jaded, but it's like when a movie is kind of, when a movie is kind of getting to this point where like, it needs to try to do something to depict like the ultimate, like terrible horror that like no human could possibly endure. I think that's a really hard thing to actually get right in a movie. And I wasn't totally convinced. Like, I'll put it this way. Like, I believe the suffering depicted in Django Unchained is more relatable to me and, like, understandable and, like, works as a motivation for, like, why the people in Django behave the way they do, even though it's a cartoon movie. Um, More so than this thing of, like, they cut you behind your ear and dangle you over a pit. For some something about that made me feel like I don't know. It's just something about it felt like it was kind of stumbling or clumsy, like in that last moment. Because you have all this good dialogue between Liam Neeson and Andrew Garfield, and it's leading towards this thing of like he literally says, like, you're about to undergo the most epic or act of love in history or something like that. He really it's a it's a weird line. Um, but he, he's really trying to, Liam Neeson is trying to psych uh, Rodriguez up to finally go over the edge and really apostatize because it's worth it, you know, for the sake of putting these people, ending these people's misery. And um, I don't know, something about that just wasn't clicking. It wasn't miserable enough. Um, when he's doing the thing where like he's in the prison cell and he's like, he like goes crazy because like he hears a guard snoring and somebody is snuff- suffering. But then actually they say like, no, those are people in the pit. They're actually screaming. It's like, well, it didn't sound that bad. It didn't, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, well, again, maybe you know, I'm it's jaded. Probably, it's, I mean, I haven't gotten this far in the book, but it's probably historically accurate. Yeah. And it's just maybe viscerally. I mean, I mean it, it probably is terrible torture, but it just doesn't seem 
It's like the Chinese water torture. Like, oh, that doesn't right. seem that bad. No, you go crazy in six hours. <laughs> like it's, right. I'm sure it is you know. terrible. It's just that, like, yeah, it, it didn't totally work filmically. It probably works a lot better in a book. Again, like, you know, just from being a jaded moviegoer, it's like, man, Silence of the Lambs or, like, Funny Games or whatever. Like, there's a lot of movies I can think of that really made me believe that you put a person in a position where they're willing to do like anything. And I wasn't sure that I totally believed it here. But again, yeah, you're right. There's questions of historical accuracy and whatever entering into it. Dude, and then of real course, torture is, is having to listen to Congress. <laughs> that's right. That's, Sorry. Yeah, that's a good point. There, there's, uh, there's my, uh, I'm getting you back for that. Apostasized joke. It's biting, biting satire. Um, and then of course, like the real, like sort of, uh, ending of the movie is it just has to do with like okay so what is his life in japan after this pivotal event happens and it turns out that like he's allowed to assimilate like what else do you expect and um very similar to the irishman where it just kind of has this sort of long outro of just like yep and then his life petered out for a while and that's the last 10 minutes of this movie which, which i'm perfectly fine with i'm not criticizing it but it's it's uh i thought it was kind of interesting hmm yeah, but he held on to his faith. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I think he held on to what we would say the important part of his values are, and he let go of, yeah, like the self-indulgence, the the thinking that you are Jesus, um, you know, in the way that a Catholic would say Jesus is, right? But he held on to what's important. Yeah, I mean... He literally held on to it. I, I think, yeah, literally, right. I, I think you can be a little bit skeptical of that in some respects. Just, I mean, okay, one other thing that we haven't talked about yet is that, you know, again, on like a filmmaking level, this movie is called Silence. You know, the central theme is about the silence of God. You, you can't hear God's voice as you see all this evil unwinding in the world around you. Uh, and then they're, they're actually... <laughs> two moments where he does literally hear God talking to him and you hear it on the screen. So you hear the voice of God inside of this movie. It's like a Bruce almighty situation over here. Um, but one of them is when he does decide to apostatize for the first time. Um, and, and Jesus tells him to, you know, go ahead. It's okay. Um, I, I've been here with you, you know, this whole time and our lives are together now or something like that. And then the second time, the weirder time, I think relates back to what you're saying, which is like when he's assimilated and he's living out his life in Japan, um, how Christian is he still? Um, certainly he still is, you know, it makes a point. The movie makes a point to, to emphasize at the end that he's covertly, you know, buried with his cross, even though that was completely outlawed. Um, but you know, the, the recurring, the, the recurring character of this wretch, Kichichiro, he winds up being sort of his friend and companion in later life. And there's a scene like at the very end of the movie where he's, he's an old man now and, uh, um, or he, he's eight, he's an aging man now, I guess he's, you know, he's, we see him older mm-hmm. <laughs> than this when he's in his coffin, but he's an aging man now. And, um, Kichichiro asks him for confession again. And, you know, th- this is like the fourth time in the movie this has happened. Maybe the third comedy rule of threes. But it is like a recurring, like ridiculous thing in this movie 
that Kichichiro keeps wanting to do confession after just being like the worst piece of shit in the world, like for whatever he's done <laughs> most recently. Yeah. Um, like, and like so he, he, he does something. Yeah. Just like some POS thing. Immediately. He wants to confess. Right. Like he to, thinks to like the guy he was a POS to is like, yeah, Kichichiro, I know what you did. You don't have to. It's right. just funny. And, and it, it does annoying. a good job and it, and it reinforces the sort of, you know, uh, father Garupe you know sort of theory too that like you know maybe what's going on here in japan even among the christians is a real misapprehension of this whole thing where they think it's actually this ritual that like if you have the right carving uh and you do the right you know like interaction with your priest like namely the confession then like that is on its surface all that matters you actually get to go to paradise for having conducted that ritual without there being the faith behind it, the emotion behind it, the sincere regret behind it, and so on. And uh, that's discussed a couple times in the movie, and I think Kichichiro is intended to make you think about that. You know, how remorseful is he really if he can keep doing these things? Um, but, you know, he's a weak man. And I think one of the more powerful things that happens in the movie is earlier on when he says, I could have been born uh, and died a good Christian uh, just a couple years ago. Uh, but, you know, the historical circumstances have changed and now we're persecuted. Um, why was I born now? This is so unfair. Uh, and, and he asks, where is the place for a weak man in a world like this? Fair question. Uh, relatable to this very day, right? I'm sure plenty of people uh, in unfortunate situations <laughs> ask themselves that question. And so... Yeah, but, but that's what I like about it. <clears throat> is, is he a weak man? Mm-hmm. Is not Rodriguez more weak than Kachichiro? Well, you're definitely supposed to think about it, and I'm not giving the definitive answer, but I will say that this very last time uh, where the confession occurs in the movie is, you know, he's not, Rodriguez is not supposed to be doing this, right? He's been allowed to live by the Inquisitor um, in exchange for, you know, apostatizing and assimilating into Japanese society and not being Christian any longer. Uh, but here covertly in his living room, this guy wants to do confession again, and he can't, he can't do it. He can't, you know, he, he's not going to violate that and do it. Uh, and again, for the second time in the movie, he hears uh, the voice of God. Um, and he decides, you know, even though you have been silent this whole time, uh, even if I had never heard the voice of God my entire life, um, my entire life and everything that I've done has itself been the voice of God. You know, I, I have been God speaking on this earth. Um, and I don't know how you view that. There's a, there's a way of interpreting that that still feels pretty like self-aggrandizing and not exactly a great <laughs> message to take away uh, in the end. You, you might just conclude like, yeah, this guy is still kind of a little bit flawed. You're still seeing these, these uh, remnants of a sort of uh, self-important uh, Jesuit, you know, here. I don't know. What did you think about that final confession? Uh, well, I, I mean, it, it, how do you define self-importance? Like, I, I do think being self-important is good, but I think you know it's the kind of thing where the Christianity kind of beats that out of you. Is it really Christianity though that beats that out of you, or is it this philosophy that undergirds Christianity? And how do we differentiate those two? Mm -hmm. Like the higher and the lower. No, yeah. I think he's right. He he is God. We like we are all gods, right? That's that's the joke, and I think it just took him a, a while to see that. Yeah, yeah, and but I that, guess you that's can exactly say that. Right. Yeah, and I guess you can say that in the end, like that is sort of a um, 
what do you call it? A synthesis, you know, of the sort of like Japanese, like nothing transcends man, uh, sort of. Yeah. Master of two worlds. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, good movie. Um, what are the better, what Scorsese movies are better than silence? Should I get into that now? Or do you want to give a parting uh, thought? Um, no. Okay. I mean, what other most Scorsese movies are there? There's Casino. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's 13, 14, Raging 15, Bull. 16. I have seventeen written down here that I've seen, and he's done more than this. There's a couple that I haven't seen still. So he's done a shitload of movies. <coughs> uh, there's that one, Mean Streets. Yep. I know you think Mean Streets is better than Silence. Okay. Mean Streets is basically silence. It just takes place in Brooklyn during the like Italy festival, um, but it's basically the same thing. Uh, Harvey Keitel is uh, is the Rodriguez character, and um, I don't know. De Niro is kind of like the Cochichiro, um, and it's basically the same movie. I mean, that's not that's glib. Mm, interesting but like, take. But yeah, like if you watch Mean Streets again, I mean, a lot of this stuff is there. There's even scenes where Harvey Keitel is pondering Saint Francis. Um, and, you know, questioning his own faith and talking about how, you know, your faith is not the ritual that you do in the church. Um, we all know that that's bullshit. It's, it's, you know, how you act on the, out on the streets. Um, so yeah, that's all there in Mean Streets, which is basically like, it wasn't Scorsese's first film, but it's the first true Scorsese film from that sort of like perspective of him coming into his own, um, <clears throat> I mean, Taxi Driver, right? You know, talk about martyrdom, you know, the theme of martyrdom. Like, what about Travis Bickle at the end of Taxi Driver? You know, to what extent is he a sort of similar kind of, in a similar position uh, as uh, Rodriguez is, you know, when deciding whether or not to apostatize? You know, it's like De Niro in Taxi Driver finds himself in this position where, like, well, there is nothing for me to live for. Is there something that I can do? You know, is it going to be a person? Is it going to be an idea? Am I going to do a political assassination or am I going to save this hooker? Uh, you know, and there's there's a martyrdom you know, involved there. Um, obviously, Last Temptation of Christ, you know, is kind of like the alpha Ooh, there's version. There's some parallels there. Yeah, that's sort of an alpha version of this movie. Alpha in the sense that like it came earlier and was more primitive. Not that it's like better or superior. Uh, Silence is definitely better. Um, But I mean, look, what are the Scorsese movies that are better than Silence? Just better movies. I think there's actually a lot of them. Um, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, Casino. Uh, Hugo is good. Yeah, Hugo. um, Hugo's on my list. You know what I think is awesome? Uh, and underrated is Shutter Island. Uh, Shutter Island is another one that, like, when you watch it a second time, it fucking rules. Uh, and the first time is maybe a little bit of a slog, but I think it's really good. Um, Dude, any good movie, you really have to see it twice, at least. Yeah. You really I, do. I think that's true. Uh, lesser Scorsese movies, I would say, yeah, Raging Bull is mid. Like, De Niro won an Oscar for it, and the acting is great, but I don't actually think that it's a great movie, which I know that'll be... A, that's a hot take. Color of Money uh, with it's Tom Cruise. It's just a bunch of scenes about characters I yeah. really don't care that much about. Yeah. It's like, oh, here's um, a cool scene, and yeah, there's good acting, and obviously Joe Pesci, who doesn't like that guy, but... yeah. Um, Cape Fear, Nick Nolte and De Niro, you know, the Sideshow Bob uh, plotline. It's kind of a mid-Scorsese. I mean, it's good, um, but it's like a remake of an old movie, and it's just like whatever. Um, 
Gangs of New York, I think, has like really high points. DDL's in it, um, but it also is. Clumsy yeah, we just rewatched that. Actually, that, that's a. What do you think on rewatching? Oh, I mean, top <coughs> tier. I, I mean, it's it's really good. I, I just I was surprised the way that silence made me think about stuff. And yeah. Gangs of New York is good, uh, but it doesn't make me think about anything. It's like, yeah, it was crazy, man. All those immigrant groups coming together. Yeah, there's going to be some wars. Yeah, that's. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, not so good, although I would like to see it again. I only saw it the one time. The Irishman, I think, is really good. I think The Irishman is like, you know, it's like Goodfellas, except made by a guy who knows he's going to die soon and is just thinking about everything on a different level. Um, I think it's good, even though like the de-aging stuff, like the CGI stuff is weird. And there's some de-aging, re-aging stuff that happens in silence, too. That is, you know, a little bit weird, but obviously the, you know, it's, it's minimal. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, in a very, in a very rough sketch, that's basically some Scorsese rankings. I didn't truly rank them all, but I mean, when we were talking about the absolute top tier, it's Goodfellas, Mean Streets, Taxi Driver. Those, those, those are the ones that are kind of undeniable. Then I would get into like, yeah, After Hours, King of Comedy, Casino, The Irishman. Those are all really good. Um, but anyway fucking depotted <laughs> dude was mark Wahlberg in that i forget yeah fucking depotted <laughs> yeah i mean look there's a big difference between being self-absorbed and self-important and in our culture we get those two things confused a lot mm-hmm. i think what what rodriguez and yeah what his character was doing in in the middle of the movie it was self-absorbed i mean really what it was i mean i would call it just an, an act of yeah self-indulgence like you you are indulging these parts of christianity uh you're indulging these parts of christianity yeah what well, it be because he has these rules set up in his mind that he that, that he can't, he has these lines set up in his mind that he can't cross. Yeah. That's why he's doing it. it it's for this total, this silly, ridiculous reason. As opposed to, yeah, the, the kind of self-importance he has when he's talking about, you know, uh, or, or when the movie discusses uh, God speaking. God was, you know, awake the whole time. He, he wasn't silent the whole time he was speaking through me. That's... uh I mean, that's more more of an Eastern interpretation of. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to clear this up, and now I feel like I'm confusing it more. Well, it gets. I mean, I will say that it's it's complex, and I think you know intentionally because you know th- what you just described—that sort of like false trail that Rodriguez is on—is there in the movie, but it's also kind of surprising and doubles back on itself because you're you know the thing that you get depicted first in the movie is that the the Adam Driver priest, um, uh, Garupe, is that what it is, Garupe? Um, is the more kind of literal by the book stringent one at the beginning. And he's a little bit more kind of like worldly. He's like fed up when they have to hide out inside. He's like fed up with it. He's getting frustrated with the peasants more frequently. He's more literal and like orthodox in his approach to things like we were saying before. But you kind of see him being the one that crosses over into this understanding of like, no, this is really about actual empathy and humanity with these people. Um, like first, and he doesn't have a sense right. of like, I'm aggrandizing myself into this like Christ-like 
you know, sort of character for whom people are dying. And you see that in the beach scene um, that, he, I don't know, he like to me, it, it, the beach scene sort of represents that, like, he came around first to just not giving a shit about whether or not anybody is apostatizing and just trying to, you know, save lives and end misery. Yeah. Right. Like, like, it's, right. So, so you're a missionary, you, you go to this country with your ideals and it's like, how do they really help anybody? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the challenge. And, and I think that's how, you know, these Christian, these Jesuit missionaries integrated their Christianity into Japan. Yeah. Um, it, it was more, I, I, you know, extroverted. I, I don't mean like, you know, outgoing. I, I mean, they were more aware of their surroundings and what was needed based on what was going on at the time. And, and part of their growth was, you know, whatever I think of what, whether I should uh, step on baby Jesus. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's an okay rule in a certain context, but there is something going on here and I need to adapt to this situation. Yeah, I, I, mean, I really need a question. Why do I really have that rule in the right, first place that I right. can't step on this? Like, what does it matter? Right, especially from the perspective of one of these peasants. I mean, that's a whole other thing that we didn't really talk about, but it's there. Uh, it probably could have been explored more in the movie. And now I'm getting into sort of like maybe a kind of like crass materialist uh, like analysis of the thing. But it's like you know, these Christian peasants. Like the, at one point, the Inquisitor basically calls them fools. And it is pretty fucking hard to disagree with him in that moment. It's like, yeah, what is the reason for refusing to buy in to this successful, flourishing Buddhist (laughs) like empire that is developing? Like at this period in Japanese history, if you were to get on board and just say like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm on board with this shogunate and uh, I don't need Christianity like muddying the waters here. You are probably going to wind up having a way better life uh, than these like farmers with their teeth all rotted out uh, and like no food uh, and, and only like, you know, Jesus to cling to like in, in their brains and like a hope of the afterlife um, on a material level. Um, I think it's important to understand like how that enters into the calculus. And it's just like, you're indulging, you're indulging yourself. That's really what it is. Right. And maybe it's important for a priest, especially who's supposed to be sort of a worldly embodiment of, you know, ethics and humanity uh, to realize like, you know what, do what makes your life less miserable, Uh, you know, worry about your faith, you know, when, when your children can, can, you know, eat, um, and that's kind of an aspect in this whole thing too. And that, that we do see Rodriguez understanding that at some level, again, like I said, maybe my favorite line reading in the movie is when they're being dragged away as prisoners and he tells them trample, uh, you know, like he, he's, he's emphatic yeah. that like, it's okay to break the rules, like, you know, stay alive. So he's, he has that in him, but it's, it's complex because you well, like what you were describing a minute ago, he, he, he does struggle to come all the way around and realize that it's okay for him to apostatize for the sake of that same value system. Yeah. Um, right. Can we do Twin Peaks in 10 minutes? Uh, probably not. <laughs> okay, you want to no, save dude, it? This is an important episode. There's a lot of things going it's on. It's a pretty good episode. I think we could get through it, but it, th- there's good stuff in here, though. I'm happy to save it. Okay. Um, That'll give a chance for everybody to watch it. It's episode 208. 
208. Season two, episode eight. Sorry. Yeah, season two, episode yeah. eight. Depends yes. how you number them. Ep- episode yeah. 15. Drive with the dead girl. Yeah. I wonder why it's called that. <clears throat> yeah. Who knows? Who knows where they get these titles from? Yeah. You know, dude, I, I was listening to this uh, Christian pastor guy on the radio a while ago, and he said Christianity loses all meaning. It loses all power. It loses all relevance without the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Like, from his point of view, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, yeah, then Christianity means nothing. Yeah. And my thought is, no, Christianity only means something if Jesus was a regular guy who didn't rise from the dead. That's the only way it means that it can't mean anything if there's just like this supernatural thing from on high. But my, my challenge is, is that really Christianity? I mean, yeah, that's modern Christianity now, and that's that's what this dipshit said on the radio. Mm-hmm. But is that really Christianity, or is that just the, the Christian apologists that put their Neoplatonic philosophy on top of Christianity that was already there, and then the resurrection became a literal resurrection, and then I lose all meaning in my life if this guy 2,000 years ago didn't rise from the dead? Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I like think the, it goes, uh, yeah, I, I think it goes like, like people uh, will argue like, oh, is Jesus, was he divine or was he human or, or maybe he was 50-50? And I think the right answer is, is he's both, right? He's 100% both. He's 100% human and 100% divine. And it's like the integration of those two things. And I think that was uh, Rodriguez's transformation. Yeah. It, in in silence is there were these good things in Christianity that he could latch onto, but then there are all these silly rules of like a resurrection and, you know, that, that just don't make any sense when you have an inquisitor who very much, I mean, made made it very clear by the end of the movie that represents nature. Like Mm -hmm. you are up against nature. Yeah. Like, what are you going to distill from this? That's the challenge. How are you going to be both human and divine? Not 50-50, but 100% both. You know, it's it's the same thing. And the reason that we see it as this dichotomy is, I think, because of this really bad philosophy that was put on top of Christianity. And, and I think that's this guy's challenge. And man, man, I just thought it was portrayed very well. Yeah, I mean, another thing that's along those same lines, like another one of those things that you have to question is like, is this innate to the faith or is this just something that's being put onto it is just the project of missionaryism itself in the first place. Uh, Who gives a shit whether you convert these farmers on an island in Japan? Uh, Was that worth, um, you know, the misery? uh, And and why does this idea need to be spread, um, you know, to the ends of the earth as part of the intrinsic uh, like value system of the faith itself. There's non-proselytizing religions. There's non-proselytizing flavors of Christianity. Uh, it yeah. doesn't seem built in in any way to me. But of course, you know, mimetics or whatever would say that the that's that's the, the forms of Christianity that would persist would be the ones that did emphasize that. And that's that's a whole different discussion. But but yeah, I mean getting into the subtleties of that sort of like Christian philosophy, like what you were saying about, you know, does it mean anything if there isn't a literal resurrection? I don't know. Like to me, that's getting into some of that like born again type stuff. Like I can hear a guy in Jesus camp saying something like that in my head. 
And it's just, I think it all well, gets very complicated. And before you yeah, know what, it, what like, percentage of Christians in America would believe that? Would believe that if they somehow found out that Jesus, in fact, did not rise from the dead, then they would stop their faith? It's a good question. I don't know. Maybe 25% of Christians I don't know. in America. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, we're not consistent with our beliefs in the first place, you know, so yeah. I don't know. I think a lot of Christians would tell you one thing about that, but then if it were ever, like, put to the test, they wouldn't abandon their faith or, like, I don't know. You know, it's 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 so hard to say what people yeah. really believe and what their beliefs really matter. But but uh, it's not for. just about Christianity, right? I mean, it's anybody, it's it's any it's any of our beliefs, it's any of our values. Like it, it you can have your values and beliefs about what's true, but you got to reality test this stuff. Mhm. Right. You got to keep reality testing it and and uh, and it's not weakness to change. It's actually silly. And, and you're indulging, I, I think, this more inherent weakness. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. You're indulging this more inherent weakness when you don't change. And you think you're sticking by your ideals. Really what you are is is you're afraid of a new challenge and looking at things from a complete, from a different perspective. Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say for anybody to get to not be a Christian if you're a Christian, but it's like, right, Okay, so you're probably against trans kids. You're probably against an eight-year-old, uh, an eight-year-old boy saying that he's a girl. How is that any different than than saying that Jesus uh, died and then rose from the dead? I would just say that, yeah, you you should be able to watch this movie and understand that the Inquisitor ha- has a very valid point, <laughs> like a very valid worldview. Uh, it's this isn't good versus evil being depicted here. This is. Uh, a versus B, or you know what I mean? Like uh, apples and, and what are two dissimilar things that you can't compare? Apples and oranges. Um, yeah. And I also, I didn't want to pass up an opportunity because I, I didn't do it before to just say that that guy who plays the Inquisitor is just out of this world. He's so good. Just his voice. What's He's with so his good. voice? I don't know. Is I don't that, know how much of that is, is that? acting. Like, yeah. I, I really don't know. I, I'm, I'm guessing. It sounds I didn't, mechanical. I didn't research the guy. I'm guessing that he might come out of like a theater tradition because Japan does have like crazy different like theatrical and like dramatic like cultures and stuff. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's just a really good actor. But man, he's so good. He's incredible. Um, there's one particularly like it, it's it's emphasized. You don't have to be like a hardcore like movie head to like notice it. It's emphasized right on its yeah, surface. I but got there's it, so. but, but there's one uh, part where like they're trying to have a discussion and and Rodriguez basically just says like, well, you know, he, he, the Inquisitor tries to say like, it seems like you don't understand Japan, and he's just like, well, it seems like you don't understand Christianity, and he just like folds. You know, he's like kneeling on the tatami, and you can just see him like he turns into like half of his height because he just does this like physical acting where he just deflates into himself, and it's just so good. It, it, the whole he's such a great character. But anyway, yeah. Oh wait, I think I did miss that. Wait, what? Uh, you'll you'll well, see it. Well, dude, see you you watch it twice. I mean, I got to watch. Okay, I'm gonna go watch this again. True. And dude, by by the way, speaking of good Japanese movies, uh, Godzilla minus one. Yeah, I heard it was I'm awesome. For that. Okay. Yeah, I heard it was awesome. I didn't see Shin Godzilla. Did you? Uh, which one's that? I think that's. I think they've done a previous one in this new like revitalization of Godzilla already. 
I think this is the second one. Maybe I have that wrong, but yeah, people are super psyched. What about revitalization it. of Godzilla are we on? Because I know there was that one that came out in 2014. That was really good. <clears throat> Maybe that is the one that I'm but thinking. That was of. American. I mean, this is a Japanese film. Right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like an OG kind of Godzilla movie. By yeah, the way, no. they're all in Criterion. All the Godzilla movies, all in Criterion. Well, all, all the all the okay. So Shin Godzilla was 2016. And that was also Japanese. Um, I haven't seen that one. And then I think that this one is like the second one that, that follows up that one, I think. Thebrazenheadspodcast at gmail.com. Let us know. Godzilla thoughts and silence thoughts. Do I have to watch? Oh, dude. Yeah. And it's on Prime Video. There you go. Sweet. All right, man. Well, good talking to you. I guess we'll get to uh, Twin Peaks next week. All right. Sounds good. Everybody let us know what you think, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, take care, man. All right, later.